second portion of the book of Devarim. So before we start, just the general introduction to the Parsha, what we're going to see very interestingly is that we have these two verbs that are going on. One is sight and one is hearing. So I'll just point to you in verse 24, you have Moshe telling God that you've begun to show me laharot, which is to see. And then he asked his request of God is that he wants to go into the land of Israel. And what does God say to him? God says, you will see it with your eyes. You will see it with your eyes. And as Rashi points out, God is responding to what he asks in, in verse 25. Let me see the, the good land. Moshe says to God, he wants to see the good land. And spoiler alert, God is going to say no, but um, I'm trying to point out here that Moshe is talking about seeing, and God responds to him about seeing. But then when it comes to the next section of, of, uh, of the portion, it says, now Israel, shema el hachukim, hearken to the statutes, listen to the statutes. So the Rebbe points out this difference between seeing and hearing. What is the difference between seeing and hearing? So seeing when you see something, it's like, this happened. If somebody's going to come and argue with you and say, no, this didn't happen, you'll say, well, I saw it. It's You're attached to it in a way that nobody can argue with you and say, well, this didn't happen. Whereas hearing something or hearing about something, for example, a judge in a case, he might hear things from witnesses that he trusts very much, and he will rule on that case based on that on what he heard. On the testimony, but he can't. It can't, it's not the same as the judge himself having seen what happened. There's a certain measure of detachment when we have heard about something. We accept it. We believe it. In some cases, but there's a little bit of a detachment there, especially in contrast to something that we've seen with our own eyes. And so, what this represents, the difference between Moshe talking about seeing and then telling the Jewish people, "Listen, Shema." is that Moshe, one of the reasons that he wants to go into the land of Israel, in addition to he himself being able to perform the mitzvot, as the Talmud says, but he wants to impart to the Jewish people while they're going into the land of Israel and, and they're fulfilling their mission there, he wants to impart his ability to see God. What does it mean, see God? Obviously, it doesn't mean physically. It means his level of perception with, with his such certitude and such strength, such impact, even though the Jewish people don't have that, especially this generation, which did not experience necessarily the exodus from Egypt and the splitting of the sea or even the giving of the Torah. They didn't see that. They heard about it from their forefathers and foremothers. But Moshe did see that. And even more than, than Yehoshua, he's like the face of the sun. He sees it with such clarity. He wants the Jewish people to have a taste of that. And he sees that if he goes into the land of Israel with them, he'll be able to impart that to them by osmosis and their mission in the land of Israel. They'll be able to remain focused on their mission and on the spiritual reasons of, of being in the land. And that's why he's asking to God, show me, let me go into the land, let me see it. And this will impart this, this measure of seeing to the Jewish people. But God says no. And so Moshe, as we've seen before, he pivots and he says, Atta Yisrael, now O Israel, in verse 1, Shema El HaChukim, listen to the statues. Okay, you're not going to have this level of seeing because I'm not going in with you, but you're going to have the next best thing, plan B, which is Shema 
listen, you'll be able to um, apprehend, grasp, um, grasp godliness, divinity, not at the level of sight, but at least at the level of hearing. Now, we know that everything is by divine providence. We know that Moshe was punished, and that's why he couldn't go into the land of Israel. But there's also a grand plan that God has. And in that grand plan, there's an advantage to Moshe not going into the land of Israel. And it's this very, that precisely this thing, where the Jewish people are going to be at this level of only hearing about God, not seeing God at the level of Moses. That is actually critical and essential to their mission. Because we talked about how vision and seeing is superior to hearing. But of course, there's going to be a superiority. There's going to be a benefit to only hearing about it and not having seen it. What's the benefit? So when you see something that you haven't done any work to absorb that idea, it's been put out for you on a silver platter. You, God is revealed at Mount Sinai. He's revealed at the crossing of the sea. You haven't put any work into that. And so, yes, there's a very strong impact of seeing but it's what it's missing is your involvement your struggle to get it and so in fact it's very deliberate that Moshe does not go into the land of Israel with the Jewish people because they're supposed to struggle they're supposed to come to God through their own efforts their own struggles overcoming doubts and overcoming distractions and they're supposed to be at this level of Shema of listening because in that way, it truly permeates who they are. It's not just something that is shown from above, but rather something that they struggle and climb the ladder to reach that. And, and, and in fact, there's a stronger connection that a person develops through that process, through that journey, than by just being shown to them from above in this level of sight. So I was thinking that there's a beautiful lesson there, in addition to gaining this perspective of what's happening in the Parsha, but there's also a beautiful lesson that there are times in our lives when we don't see, when it's the, the, the things are cloudy or, or it could be a, a certain a particular day or a certain aspect of our relationship with God that is not clear. Sometimes we have this incredible clarity. As we talked last week, a person could be have that taste of the, of the times of Mashiach where everything is so clear and so, um, so obvious. It's like you're seeing it. But sometimes we can go into a, a stage in our, in our history or personally in a stage where we're only hearing about it. And we feel some, a little bit of a detachment and it can be very discouraging. And here we see Dafka that there's something special about it, that when you have to struggle with it, when, you're, when you feel that little bit of detachment and it's a struggle, there's an advantage to that because in a way that is bringing you closer because you have to use your own efforts to try to come closer to God. So with that introduction, let us go to the Parsha. Va'etchanan, it's a pretty long word. And the root here is, you may recognize it from the daily prayers, tachanun. Tachanun is a part of, the, of prayer right after the Amidah where we're, we are uh, confessing our sins and we're beseeching God. Here they have it translated, I entreated. So it's, it's a type of prayer, but it's an entreaty. It's like almost like begging God. And what is Moshe begging of God? He's begging of God that he should be able to go into the land of Israel. So uh, one of the lessons that the Midrash derives from this, because the, the end of the verse says, Lamor, to say, and Rashi will talk about it. What, what are you saying to say? And the Midrash says something beautiful and inspiring. It says that Moshe was teaching the Jewish people at this point something for their future. He was saying, don't ever give up on, on prayer. Even I, who was told by God, 
again and again, you're not going into the land of Israel. There's a decree you're not going. There's a vow. And he didn't give up. He kept on praying. He's teaching the Jewish people, Lamar, you should do this in the future. Don't give up. The power of prayer is so powerful. So what does he do? I entreated God. Another Midrash tells us that Ve'et Hanan is the gematria, the numeric equivalent of 515, implying or suggesting that Moshe prayed 515 different prayers. So he prays to God at that time saying, and he asked God to be able to go in the land of Israel. Let's look at Rashi. Rashi's first interpretation is not that Ve'et Hanan means entreaty, but rather it comes from the word chinam. Chinam means free or without pay. And what Rashi explains is that Moshe, you might think, was coming to God and saying, hey, I did so much for, for you, God. I did so much for the Jewish people. I did so much for the Torah. I did so much for the world. I deserve to go into the land of Israel. No. Even though he could have done that, he would have been justified with such an argument, but he doesn't do that. As Rashi says, even though the righteous, the tzaddikim, they could justifiably request on the merit of their good deeds, but they don't do that. When they make a request of God, they ask for matnas chinam, um, for for a um, for a free gift. Hold on one second, friends, and we're back in business. So Moshe is asking of God for a free gift. He's not um, suggesting that this should be done, and this comes out of the humility of the righteous that they don't want to use their good deeds uh, to justify some favor that they're asking of God. Verse 24, here we have a very interesting use of the name of God, where it says, O Lord God, that's in English, and if you look in the Hebrew side, Adoshem Hashem Elohim. Now, if you could see the Hebrew, it's written, the word Elohim is E-L-K-I-M, or in Hebrew, Aleph Lamed, uh, Hey Yud Mem. Here it's spelled with the letters Y and A and V and H. So in Hebrew, Yud and K and Vav and K. So we're, it's pronounced like Elohim, but it's written the letters, the vowelization is Elohim, and the letters are the name of God, Yud, K, Vav, K. So what does Rashi tell us? That this, we know that the, the name Yud, K, Vav, K is God's essential name and, the, and thus the, the attribute of mercy, of compassion. Whereas Elohim, Elohim is the name of God that represents judgment. And so when these two names are kind of um, put together, where they're, it's written with the name of mercy and vowelized with the name of judgment, what that means, says Rashi, is Rachum Badin. That, that what Moshe is asking, what he's trying to invoke, is you, God, who are merciful in judgment. He's recognizing that this is a time of judgment, and he's asking that God's compassion should permeate his, uh, the way that he judges. Verse 25, what is he actually asking? He's saying, Ebrana, let me cross over and see the good land. Rashi will say the word na. It could mean now, but in this context, it means na, please, like Anna Hashem Hoshiana, and let me see the good land that is on the other side of the Jordan. Hahar Hatov, the good mountain, and the Lebanon. Now, what is he referring to? What's this good mountain? And what is the Lebanon? Rashi will tell us. Rashi says, what is the good mountain? Zu Yerushalayim. This refers to Jerusalem, which is on a mountain. Maral, Rabbi Judah Prague, says that just as we say that the land of Israel 
as we've seen in the past, you go up to the land of Israel, and he interprets that spiritually, that it's a spiritual ascent. He says that Jerusalem is a mountain. You, you go up to Jerusalem, but that doesn't just mean uh, physically. There's a spiritual elevation. In fact, he says when you're in Jerusalem, you can feel, just like you see a mountain, you know that it's higher than what's around it. When you're in Jerusalem, you can feel the holiness and transcendence of this place. And what is the Lebanon? does not refer to the country of Lebanon. It refers to the Beit HaMikdash, the land, I'm sorry, the, the, the holy temple. That's Lebanon. How do we get from Lebanon to the Beit HaMikdash, to the holy temple? Um, the word Lebanon has in it the word Lavan. Lavan means white. So as Talmud explains, the Beit HaMikdash whitens, it cleanses the sins of the Jewish people. So we will stop there and open it up to questions and answers. I, I was thinking about early on when you were talking about uh, the differentiation between seeing and hearing and the importance of seeing level, yes, you can see, but maybe it's simpler in some ways, it's right there, where it takes a lot to hear and to understand at a deeper level. I was thinking back to when God doesn't allow anyone to see him, even Moses can't see him. No one can see him. Is that, does that somehow also imply that you need to go deeper in hearing and, and praying and, and somehow going deeper to, to know God? In a different way, you, you have to do more than that. He's not going to just present himself so that it's easy to see, and you have to believe. You have very to find some way of having faith. Is that is it something like that? That could be. I mean, that's a very interesting way of looking at it. I mean, I always looked at it as, you know, the fact that you can't see God is just by the very nature of, um, you know, being a physical being. It's there's just an impossibility. It's it's just in the realm of the impossible versus. You know, as you're suggesting that that God, um, you know, is is doesn't want us to see Him because in giving us this, uh, you know, this added challenge, um, or this necessary challenge, it does say that the times. We'd almost be forced to believe because it's so obvious. You know, it'd be too easy. Right. Maybe right. I'm just thinking out loud here. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a very good point. Um, Definitely, definitely, there is the, the hiding of God's presence to create that challenge. And in fact, it does say that when the times of Mashiach, but there, there is this idea that it's a, that it's a physical impossibility, not physical. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an impossibility for us to perceive God uh, because of our physical state. However, it does say that in times of Mashiach, we will be able to perceive God even in our, through our fleshly eyes. So that's, you know, something absolutely miraculous. But that's an interesting point that that there's an advantage to our not being able to see God. It forces us to dig deeper. Excellent, thank you. Um, can I add? I was just thinking of, about this. Like maybe it's tied to us having, you know, I'm talking to God who looks like one of us, as opposed to. The, the part we don't know what you know like what does god look like god looks like everything we see and everything we are and everything we do how do you embody that 
so it's almost like I don't know that we need to see physically see God. Um, that's the beauty of of in the presence of God of understanding the presence and our raising up where we are to the that higher level. That doesn't mean we're leaving here, but raising the whole thing up to God's level and and God coming down to us. I think that that's more of a feeling rather than, you know, how do we know that when Mashiach comes that we're not all, we don't even, how do we know that we will even look like this? You know, like maybe we don't need to look like this. You know, like, I, I mean, I, I'm just kind of saying that there's so many, this is the beauty of the unknown so that we continue to strive for the infinite. I, I you know, like there's a there's a part in this that we have that Hashem is saying, you don't need this part, you know, to you need to just have the faith and have the and watch what happens around you due to your having the faith. You know, and I don't know, that seemed to be right. I think what you're saying is very nice. So so we, we do perceive God, right? We do we do perceive God and in um, even in the state of concealment, we perceive God. But what, we, what we're saying that the time of Mashiach is going to be a whole different level of clarity and vision. And again, it doesn't mean you, what, what are we going to see? We can't imagine what we're going to see. But it, and uh, um, you know, it's hard to describe. We do we do know that we will be physical beings in the time of Mashiach, and that's the beauty of it. That within the physical beings that we are as we know ourselves today within that we will be able to see again we don't know what exactly that means and what we're going to see we'll be able to perceive god in this level of clarity anyway so here's an example so it says that the prophets you know the contributing moshe and the prophets that the other prophets the prophets when they would go into their uh, their prophetic visions they would fall on the ground and they would be babbling and they would they would lose their their consciousness their normal consciousness because the their consciousness was a contradiction to divine revelation divine vision and so they had to be so to speak out of themselves in order to receive prophecy whereas moshe as god says you know this is a whole different league we're speaking face to face moshe is is he's not falling on the floor he's 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 who he is and yet he's able to so we even see before mashiach comes that there's varying levels of perception and whether your physical consciousness uh, physical being and consciousness would be a contradiction to that. And what we're saying is in the times of Mashiach, everybody will be at that level of, uh, of Moshe, but perhaps even even greater. Well, I feel like I'm in grade school. Like if you look at it, like I'm in the, you know, I'm in grade school of this process, whereas Moshe was the PhD, right? right. You know? <laughs> and so we're working our way there, right? And and it's a, it's a combination of studies and 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 faith and asking Hashem to come down, us going up. And th there's this play there of us gaining this higher, moving up in our grade levels. I don't know. Maybe more deeper too, because our soul, we look at it, we can only picture our body, what we look at here, but our soul goes on. What does that look like? It doesn't have a, what's the picture? There's no picture, it's an essence. Exactly. More than that. Exactly. Bruce, 
Yes, you said uh, that when Moses delivered this, that they didn't actually see the exodus, the splitting of the sea, the giving of the Torah, et cetera, like their forefathers. And my point is that, you know, we're, I think, about 131 generations out. But correct me if I'm wrong, when this was being delivered, we were two generations out. And it's amazing in such a short time that it didn't hold. Right. It's not saying it didn't hold, uh, but definitely, you know, there was, uh, you know, the, the Jews fell into idolatry at some point. It's, I think it's not, I don't think we're saying that it didn't hold, but rather that it wasn't the same degree of perception as the, as the first generation. And therefore, you know, may have made it in a way more difficult for them once they came into the land of Israel to, to retain the divine consciousness that the first generation may have had. But I hear what you're saying. You know, it didn't have that same hold as the first generation. Yeah, that's the difference. You know, you, you, if you were there, or you just heard about it from your from your grandfather or grandmother. At that point, you're not hearing about it probably from just your grandfather or grandmother, but from a huge number of people that are around. Right. Right. Excellent. I would okay. be compelling. I would think. Yes, yeah, definitely very compelling, and the Jews do a pretty good job. But what it's saying is that if if they had been at the level of sight and come into the land of Israel with that type of impact power, it would have it would have um, had a very it would have been a very different journey. Like eleven days later. Yeah, yeah, you know. Maybe that's also why there's a, always a warning about graven images because you make a, something sightful and think that's what we're worshiping. It's not. That's not exactly. Exactly. Um, uh, oh, can I just add too that I was thinking about this in our world today and in the time then too, right? That it's easy to take the easy button. It's easy to blame somebody. It's easy to to you know not do something. It's easy to not, you know not, it's easier to not have faith many times. You know, like. You, you know, and maybe that maybe the majority or all of us have not taking the easy button, putting in the work because of the end game reward is so much bigger in our lives and our connections with Hashem. Like that's, you know, I that possibly could be something that moves us to Mashiach when when the easy button is we walk from the easy button. We do the work, you know, I don't know. Yes, so you, so you got it, and I'll, I'll conclude on that. Um, that getting to Mashiach—that's a very good way to put it—is because the, the way we get to that is we get to it by the divinity, divine consciousness permeating the the farthest, permeating the farthest reaches of our consciousness of of who we are, and when it's in the level of sight. It doesn't require us to go go that deep. It's you know, it's like it's right there in front of us. It doesn't require us to struggle. Mm. That means that there's a part of us that's not really on board. And so having to go through the struggle means that everything is you know, it's <laughs> we've used the I think example in the past. The Rebbe's example is it's the it's the um, the local stops, the train that's making the local stops. It takes longer, but it gets everybody everybody on board as opposed to the express that gets there, but a lot gets left behind, so it's longer, but it's more, it's more thorough and, and brings uh, the ultimate. 
Um, thank you. Call. Well, thank you. And we'll look forward to seeing you all tomorrow. Same time, same place. Thank you, Rabbi. <laughs> thank you, Rabbi. Great day. Bye-bye.